Well, it is good to be with you today. Can you hear me? We, we do not have a sound system per se, and so that's why it may be difficult or it may have been difficult to hear some of those who have been participating in worship thus far. It may be a little bit inconvenient, but we're still glad to have the opportunity to be together. And we're very grateful that you're here today. You know, what we've been through may seem difficult. And as you think about going through life, adversities come from time to time. And yet out of adversity can come great blessings. And I really believe that God will bless us even though we've been through some tough times. And we can come through this thing much stronger. And we can reach to, in my opinion, we can reach to greater heights. We're going to be looking today at Deuteronomy chapter 2 in just a moment. Before we begin, let me just also make this observation. We've been blessed to have some news coverage as a result of what's happened. And, you know, as a result of that, sometimes doors are opened. I was talking to someone this past week that said that they had, had talked to someone in a store that had seen the telecast on Channel 5. And the remark was made that they were a member of the church, they had not been going anywhere, but now they're thinking about coming to Olive Branch. So you just never know what good will come forth from what we've been through. Looking at Deuteronomy chapter 2, I want us to think for a moment or two today about the theme, Turn Northward. You recall God's people had been in bondage down in the land of Egypt. And they had been oppressed. And Pharaoh made life very difficult for the people of God. And so they cried out to God, and God said in the long ago that he had heard their prayers, and he had seen their trials. And thus... He was going to intercede on their behalf, and he did. And so we can read in the book of Exodus of their deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 19, God said unto Moses, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. God then entered into a covenant relationship with his people. They responded by saying that all that God has said, we will do. Well, we find sometime later, God's people had the opportunity to go into the promised land. Unfortunately, when Moses delegated the spies to go out and survey the land, word came back. Ten of the spies, as you recall, gave an unfavorable report. Only Joshua and Caleb gave a favorable report. And they talked about how the land that they had surveyed was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a good land. Yet, and yet because of the unbelief of the children of Israel, God made his people dwell in, in the wilderness for 40 years. And so after dwelling in the wilderness for some 40 years, here's what God said unto Moses. Verse 2 of chapter 2. The Lord spoke to me saying, you have compassed or skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. 
when you and I think about going northward or turning northward, typically we think about going upward or moving in a positive direction. And really what God was saying to the children of Israel through Moses is simply this. You've been here long enough. Now it's time to go to that land which flows with milk and honey. So I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, turn northward. And there are some things that I want to call your attention to. First of all, as we, as we contemplate this idea of turning northward, we think of their destination. And the destination has to do with a reward. And there was satisfaction in getting to the promised land. God had said in the long ago that he was going to give them this land. And Moses, in the long ago, said that this was a land that flowed with milk and honey. In chapter 3, verse 25, Moses, you'll read in that context of Moses pleading with God to allow him to go into the promised land. You recall Moses had disobeyed God, and so as a result of that, God said, you're not going to get to go into the promised land. But he did allow him to view the promised land from Mount Pisgah. He enabled him to survey that beautiful land. Well, in chapter 3, verse 25, Moses describes the promised land as a good land. And I really believe that as God's people today, you and I need to understand that we are moving toward a good land. That good land that we're talking about is heaven. Why is it that we come together on the first day of the week? Why do we come together on Wednesday night? Why is it that we read the Bible? Pray. Why do we engage in acts of service? Because we're, we're wanting to live a life that is ultimately pleasing to God. And we know that God has promised us a home in heaven. And so everything that we do ultimately focuses on that home in heaven. And I think about heaven being that good land before us. The promised land was described as a good land. What about heaven? Well, first of all, I'm reminded of the beauty of heaven. You ever read in the book of Revelation? John describes that heavenly city. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 21, he calls it the New Jerusalem. And Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 13, he said, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. You and I, we are moving toward that beautiful land called heaven. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We think about the beauty of heaven and then also the blessings of heaven. Think for a moment about the children of Israel. Their forefathers had died in the wilderness. We have this new generation that's about to embark upon the promised land. And they were going to be blessed with this land that flowed with milk and honey. You ever thought about the blessings of heaven? Look around in our world today. What do you see? Decay? You see mayhem, you see heartache and sorrow and pain, 
and all of the, the difficulties imposed on the human family. Yet that's not the case in heaven. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 21 at verse 4, John said in the long ago that in that beautiful land there will be no more death. Think about that. Living in a land that is immune from death. Death will never again invade the human family. He said, neither shall there be any more tears, nor crying, nor sorrow. And then he goes on to say, neither shall there be any more pain, for these former things are passed away. We talk about the defilements of the world and the crime and the rampant ungodliness of our society. Let me just ask this question. If you were going to move into a neighborhood, would you want to live next door to a pedophile? Would you want to live next door to a thief? Would you want to have somebody living down the street from you that was a murderer? Well, the answer to that would be no. Well, let me tell you, in heaven, none of that will be present. It is a beautiful land, and it is also a blessed land. And so we think about the destination before them. God said in the long ago, turn northward. They were headed to Canaan's land. They were headed to that land that flowed with milk and honey. But then secondly, what about the dedication that it was going to take on their part? Let me just suggest that sacrifice and service would be necessary on their part to get to the promised land. Did you know that nothing is accomplished without work. Think about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when He came into this world. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My work, my meat, is to do the will of Him who sent me. In John chapter 6, at verse 38, Jesus said, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. In John 9, at verse 4, Jesus, in the long ago, said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. You and I, we have a very brief tenure here upon earth. I don't know how long God will bless us with life here upon this earth. We may live to be 70 or 80 years of age, as the psalmist said in Psalm 90 at verse 10. But the exhortation in verse 12 is, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. What we have to do is take advantage of the time that God allots us here on earth. Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 5 how we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. Life is extremely brief. And so on the part of ancient Israel, they were going to have to, they were going to, have to manifest a spirit of sacrifice and even service in order to get to the promised land. And really, that was going to call upon, that, that would really call upon them to be reliable. God had made the promise that they would go to this beautiful land. They were going to have to work to get there. They were going to have to root out those pagan nations before them. They were instructed not to intermingle with them, not to intermarry. Because ultimately, God said, if you do so, they'll turn away your heart from following me. What about the dedication that we need to become what God would have us to be? You and I, we've been dealt a blow to some extent. We've lost our building, but we haven't lost the church. Just because the building has been destroyed, the church is still here. 
Look around. We're still alive. We're still well. We still have the resources necessary to build, to go forward, to, in effect, turn northward. And we can use these adversities to the glory of God. I really believe that when it's all said and done, we can come through this and be greater people, greater servants of God than ever before. As a matter of fact, we can use these adverse circumstances to our benefit. What we have to do is see the silver lining. The other day I was in the building, and I was walking around, and I just happened to look in, in the auditorium. Did you know that every pew is gone? The carpet's gone. You know what that tells me? We're going to get a new carpet. <laughs> I mean, how good is that? <laughs> and guess what? We may even get some new windows. Brighter walls. I see a lot of good amidst this somewhat seemingly disastrous situation. I mean, it's not all that bad. When it's all said and done, you know what we're going to have? A refurbished building. We're going to have a new roof. We're going to have a nice place to come together on the first day of the week to worship God. A nice place to come together on Wednesday night. We're going to have a nice place to engage in the work of the church, to plan our activities, to go forward for the cause of Christ. Now let me just ask this question. Anything wrong with that picture? I don't see anything bad about it. Maybe we are a little bit inconvenienced right now. But let me tell you, better days are ahead. The Lord willing, we'll be back on site next Sunday morning meeting in our fellowship hall. And if we, can, if we can endure that process for a little bit of time, we'll be back in a new auditorium. And so, to me, it's all good. I look at it in a positive way. What about dedication? What's it going to take on our part? What was it going to take on the part of the children of Israel to get to the promised land? Number one, they, they were going to have to have vision. They had to envision the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. They needed to, to get a mental picture of what was before them. And ultimately, if they could see the promised land, mentally speaking, then it would give them the incentive to get there. Now, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 28 at verse 19, or rather chapter 29, verse 18, the wise man said, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, he's talking about in context there, revelation, the revelation from Almighty God. But we can use that for this purpose. We have to have vision for the future. Look at what we've just been through. Is it not the case that we can, that we can develop a plan? In other words, what we need to do is plan the work and then work the plan. Vision for the future. Just because we've lost the building doesn't mean we've lost the right to work and worship, to work for God, to work on His behalf, and to worship the Lord on a regular basis. I mean, we, what we need to do is see this as an opportunity. 
And then secondly, they were going to have to have vigor. In order for, in order for us to go forward, we're going to have to have some get up and go. We can't sit back and, and whine and cry and talk about what we don't have. What we need to do is accentuate what we do have. We've got a lot of healthy bodies in this congregation. We've got tremendous resources. Look at all of the things that are, that, that are before us. What we need is manpower. Paul taught in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 10 that we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In Titus chapter 3 at verse 1, the Apostle Paul said that we are to be ready unto every good work. What's that going to take on, on my part and on your part? It's going to take some vim, some vigor. In other words, I've got to have some spring in my step. I've got to have some, some action coming forth from my, from my bones and my muscles, from my veins, if you please. And then finally, what we need is vigilance. We're going to have to be vigilant. I like what Paul said in Colossians chapter 4. He said, continue earnestly or steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. One translation says, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And then he said, always praying that a door may be opened for the word that I may speak the mystery of Christ by which I am in chains. Paul here was writing from a Roman prison. What was Paul concerned about? He wasn't concerned about his physical well-being, so to speak. But what Paul, what Paul had in mind, we talk about vision. We talk about somebody who was a visionary. Here's Paul. And Paul is saying, what you need to be praying about is that God will open a door of opportunity for me that I might preach and teach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. What is it you and I need to be doing? We talk about our dedication. We talk about building up the church in this community, making the church what it ought to be in this area, that we are to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Well, what is it we need? What is it we need to do? We need to be praying that God will open for us doors of opportunity. I mentioned just a moment ago the, the interview that was conducted by Channel 5. Listen, that opens doors of opportunity. I'm going to call the newspaper this week, try to get an interview with them. Why? Because it will open doors of opportunity. I've sent word to Tish. I'm trying to get Tish to help us get on Channel Channel 13, Fox News. Why? Because it gives the Church of Christ exposure in this area. And every time people can see the Church of Christ in print or on television, guess what? It helps. It does good. And so what we need to do is be praying that God will open some doors of opportunity for us. And I believe that God will not just open a window, but He will throw the door wide open. And in my mind right now, the door is wide open. Number three, what would it take to get to the promised land on the part of Israel? Determination. You're going to have to have some resolve. You and I have to have resolve to get to the promised land. If these people were going to get to Canaan, if they were going to get to this land flowing with milk and honey, 
they were going to have to have this resolve, this attitude that we're going to dig in our heels and do the best we can so that we might ultimately inherit the land. I think about steadfastness, steady as she goes. If you and I are going to reach our ultimate destination, we're going to have to have that spirit of steadfastness that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. When he said, Be you steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. You and I have the opportunity, the awesome opportunity, to live in such a way so that one day we'll be in that spiritual Canaan, that beautiful land, that blessed land. What will it take on our part? Three things. Number one, if we're going to turn our eyes northward, if we're going to move toward the promised land, we can't afford to get complacent. Complacency robs the people of God of being what they ought to be. Sometimes adversity works to people's favor. Because really what happens is it stirs them up. When everything's going along as, as planned and everything's just rocking along, sometimes we go to sleep at the wheel. And sometimes a bump in the road every now and then is not a bad thing. It may be that it helps us to refocus, to realize what life's all about and what our purpose is here on earth. In Revelation chapter 2, one of the problems that Ephesus faced in the long ago, they had left their first love. Jesus said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. He said, you have left your first love. Here were people that had, for whatever reason, had moved away from Almighty God. They were no longer what God wanted them to be. In chapter 3, we read of the Lord's assessment of the church at Laodicea. And to the Laodiceans, the Lord said, you're neither cold nor hot. He said, you're lukewarm, you're tepid. You're not hot for me. You're not cold for me. You're just lukewarm. And so he said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. What happened? They had become complacent, apathetic, lethargic. It's very easy for us sometimes to just get set in our ways. We go to sleep at the wheel. We're not reading our Bible like we should. We're not praying as we should. We're not involved in the work of the church. We're not attending worship services on a regular basis. What happened? Did the Lord move? No. If anybody moved, we did. And so we can't afford to become complacent. But then secondly, I would suggest that we can't get careless. The prize is before us. The children of Israel had before them Canaan's land, the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey. Here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul realized that a prize was before him, that crown of life, the Stephanos, the victor's crown. And sometimes people become careless with their spiritual lives. We can read over in the book of Hebrews of those who were drifting, spiritually speaking, in chapter 2. We can read of those over in chapter 5 who had become dull of hearing. Well, what happened? They had grown careless in their relationship to the Lord. 
Well, if you want to get to Canaan's land, if you want to get to heaven, you can't afford to get careless with your spiritual life. Does that mean you're going to make you're not going to make mistakes? No. All of us make mistakes. But the idea is that we're striving to the best of our ability to walk in the light. As John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. John said, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then finally, I would suggest that we can't get cheap. Now you might ask the question, what does it mean to become cheap? spiritually speaking. Well, to me, it suggests that Christianity costs something. Anything that is worth its weight or worth its salt, so to speak, costs something. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus talked about those who would follow him. He said they have to love him above mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sister. He said, yes, even his own life. Sometimes we want things easy. There are times in life when from a, from a Christian perspective, we want it handed to us on a silver platter. We want to go the route of least resistance. We want to just take the easy road. Well, Listen, Christianity is not a bed of roses all the time. And there's nothing called in the Bible. You'll never read in the Bible, for example, of cheap grace. It costs something. It costs the Son of God his life. And so here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 at verse 20. He said, Christ will be magnified in my body. Now listen to what he says. Whether by life or by death. Paul was willing to lay it all on the line for the cause of Christ. If the Lord could be magnified in his body by living, so be it. But he said, if God can be greater glorified and magnified in my body through death, then so be it. Now to me, that suggests Christianity costs something. It's not cheap. And if, if you and I are going to, if we're going to reach the promised land, just like the children of Israel, then we're going to have to have some determination, some resolve. We're going to have to set our minds toward heaven. As God said to Moses in the long ago, turn northward. You and I have the opportunity today to turn northward. We can, we can use the adverse circumstances that, that we're now faced with to our benefit, but ultimately to God's glory. And so, I guess the question that I would ask is this. Are you with me? I hope everybody's with me. I hope we're all with the elders and behind the elders and praying for the elders. Because in my mind, God can use this to His glory. Now, it may be that you're here today and you're not a Christian. And what we want to do is encourage you to come to Christ. You know, we talk about turning northward. If you're not a Christian, you're headed southward, figuratively speaking. And what you want to do is turn northward. How would you do that? Well, first of all, you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. 
Jesus also said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. And then here's the question. Would you be willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did, as recorded by Luke in Acts 8, verse 37? And finally, would you be willing to be baptized or immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Now somebody might say, we don't have a place to be baptized. Let me tell you, we do. There's a pool right out here. <laughs> so that's not a problem. You can be baptized today if you want to. And God will add you to the church. And you'll become a New Testament Christian. And God will bestow on you all of the spiritual blessings that you read about in His Word. If you're here today, you're not faithful. Could we encourage you to come home? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you? And God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.